Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It me, your host Sammy. And today we're going to talk about a couple of preflop spots I played this week at Stone's Gambling Hall. Now, I know preflop spots aren't nearly as exciting to talk about as multi-street hands because you know the pots are smaller and there's fewer discussion points. But man, I think a lot of live players gloss over preflop strategy, and I think that's a big mistake. You know, I I think that a lot of players kind of mentally segregate preflop and postflop as like two unrelated separate entities. When in reality, I mean, preflop shapes so much of what happens post. And, you know, it's like if you're building a house, right? If you build a house, the foundation has to be solid. Otherwise, no matter how sturdy and how elegantly the rest of the house is constructed, it's all going to be slightly askew and, you know, at major risk of crumbling at some point. So if preflop is the foundation of a good overall poker strategy, I think the majority of live players, especially at low and mid stakes, have these huge cracks in those foundations. They they play too many hands preflop, and that means that they end up arriving on flops and then turns and then rivers with way too many hands. And then they have to do something with those hands, right? They either either have to overfold or overcall or overaggress and it just creates big strategic imbalances on these later streets. They also tend to play these hands very passively, often opting to call into the three betting in a lot of spots, which caps their ranges and just invites a whole mess of other players to come in cheaply. And if you've listened to, I think it was the last episode or the episode before, uh, I talked about kind of the modern way to play preflop and, and the way that I've kind of adopted and it's basically, in, in no uncertain terms, to three better fold from basically all positions on the table except the button and the big blind, because those two positions specifically, a lot of your range is incentivized to flat call. But other than that, it's just like three better fold. So just give you an example. Say the middle position player open raises, right? And I'm next to act. I'm in middle position too. Uh, if I have a hand like queen jack offsuit or ace 10 offsuit, or king 10 offsuit, something like that. You just fucking fold the hand. Like those hands are ass. Those hands are shit. I, I, I promise you. They are hands that like so many players love to play, but they don't really do anything for you. They don't actually make you money. But say the same situation comes along and that guy open raises from middle position and I'm next to act in middle position. I have queen jack suited. Well, I'm fucking three betting it. Like let's go. Three betting this hand does so many things for you. Like number one, it buys you position in most cases. It'll fold all the players behind you out unless they have a really, really strong hand, which happens occasionally, but really not very often. And then it builds a pot. So think of what's happening. You're building a bigger pot in a hand where you're going to have position. That is good. The other thing it does is it uncaps your range. It keeps your range uncapped, which means like you can have hands like aces and kings and ace-king if you play your hands this way. And that means that the opponents really have to respect what you have post-flop. And it creates a lot of great bluffing opportunities. And then the other thing it does is you will tend to get more action when you do have your best hands. When you do have aces and kings and ace-king and stuff like that. Because your opponents know that those aren't the only hands you're three-betting with. It, it just really opens up the game for you and does so much for you. Juxtapose that with the way most players would play queen jack suit in that situation. Someone from middle position opens, they flat call. And then what happens? 
when you flat call, all of a sudden it invites a cascade of players behind you to call because they're all getting a better price and they all have better position. And then you end up playing a pot multi-way where there's like four or five players in the hand. And what happens is that all of a sudden you're forced to make a hand to win the hand. Because if you're playing heads up, you have all sorts of bluffing opportunities, right? You're in position, you have an uncapped range, like it's lit. You can just barrel these guys off so many different types of hands. But when you're multi-way, it's really hard to bluff four other players or three other players out of a pot. So you're basically forced to play the pot honestly. You're supposed to, you know, you're basically trying to match the cards on the board with the cards in your hand. Fucking whoop-de-doo. That's what everybody else is trying to do, right? You know, Ed Miller talks about this in one of his books where he says so many players play poker like it's bingo. They're just trying to match the cards in their hand with the cards on the board. And it's like, nobody has any skill in that. You know what I mean? There's no skill in matching the cards in your hand to the ones on the board. It, it, It happens to everybody equally over the long term. So what happens when everybody is trying to do the same thing is that you all end up just breaking even over the long term. Only that's not really what happens, right? Because there's rake. So everybody ends up paying the rake and losing in the long term. Who's trying to play like that? Now, I'm sure you're thinking, but Sammy, what if I value bet when I have the best hand better than my opponents and I fold when I have the worst hand better than my opponents? Won't I win money then? And the answer is yes. And and take it from me, somebody who used to play that strategy. I think I told you guys in the introductory episode, when I first started building my bankroll uh, at the lowest stakes at two, three, a couple of years ago, that's the strategy I employed. Like I literally just tried to see cheap flops. And when I made a hand, I tried to value bet it better than my opponents. And when I thought I was beat, I tried to fold better than my opponents. And I did really well. I, I, I really crushed that game. I really did. That's how I built my bankroll. But when I moved up, when I moved up to like two, five and five, 10, and I tried to do the same thing, it didn't work nearly as well. I was a slight winner trying to play that way because I, I think I was still probably slightly better than my opponents at those things. But really, we were all playing the same game. I was just playing it slightly better and winning a little bit. And that's not it. You know what I mean? It, if you want to be really good at this game, you want to be a, a significant winner. You want to play at a professional level like when you know, double-digit big blinds per hour at mid-stakes hold'em, you have to do something different than your opponents. You have to play better than your opponents. Your strategy has to be better. And that all starts with pre-flop. So again, these two hands are from this week. They're short hands. They're pre-flop spots. I know they won't be as exciting as a lot of the, the big multi-street hands, but I think they're important spots. And uh, And I hope you guys get something out of them. So let's get into it. All right, hand one. We are playing 1-3 at Stone's Gambling Hall, and the the under-the-gun player limps for three. I'm next to act with ace-three of diamonds, and I decide to raise to 15. It folds around to the small blind, and let me tell you a little bit about the small blind. The small blind, uh, I believe, uh, is probably a pro. He is a younger guy. He's like late 20s, maybe early 30s you know, clean looking haircut, wearing the quarter zip. He knows everybody there. I've been to Stone's uh, a handful of times since uh, the pandemic. He's been there every single time. I always see him playing. He's really friendly, especially with the fish, chatting him up, 
And you can tell that the way he handles his chips, the way he handles his cards, his confidence at the table, like all these things, you put it all together. Like this guy is either a pro or just like a very good regular, but he's, he, he's a player. Like you can tell. So he's been at our table for maybe 20 minutes. And in that time, I've already seen him three bet like two or three times. And so I have the distinct impression that if he's like a young, smarter, professional level player and he's and he's three betting a lot, he's probably playing a pretty similar strategy to the one that I outlined in the beginning of the show. He has, I have about 1,200 in front of me and he's got like 3K. Again, the the one three at Stones plays like a 2.5 because it's a match stack and the 2.5 plays like way bigger. So under the gun limps for three, I raised to 15 next to act with ace three of diamonds. We're playing 1200 effective. And now it gets back to this pro dude in the small blind. And he three bets to 65. The under the gun limper folds. And now it's up to me. And we have a pretty big decision here. So I think it's pretty clear that calling is the worst choice. Now we do have position with our ace three of diamonds, but this hand, man, th- this hand is kind of ass. Like it plays very poorly post-flop in a lot of ways because it's ace three. So the majority of flops are going to be three cards in the middle uh, that really aren't going to connect well. And even when we hit an ace, you know, he's going to have more ace king and more ace queen than, than we do. And it's going to be hard to win a big pot. Like if we hit an ace, it's just a bluff catcher. Do we occasionally make a flush? Yeah, but very rarely. A lot of times we'll flop a flush draw um, and not even get there and pay more. Can we hit two pair? Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to hit two pair um, when he's got an ace, if he's got an ace. And that's the only way we're going to get paid. Could we hit a wheel? Yeah, but that's hard to do. Like the reality is that this hand just doesn't play that well. We can fold also, and, and I think folding is super reasonable here because it's a pretty big three bet. It's 50 more bucks to us, and we're playing against probably the, the best other player at the table. So folding this hand, certainly reasonable. And then we can four bet. So let's talk about the cases for a four bet. Number one, we have a pretty good four betting candidate because we have an ace in our hand. So while the hand itself isn't very good, having an ace in our hand is really good for us in terms of card removal. It blocks his strongest hands like pocket aces and ace king. What I mean is like when we have an ace, usually there's six ways to have pocket aces. But if I have an ace, now there's only three. So it decreases the chances that he's got pocket aces by 50% because I hold an ace. Similarly with ace king, usually there's 16 ways to make it. Four aces times four kings. But if I have an ace... There's three aces times four kings. Now there's only 12. So it reduces the chances that he's got a hand like ace king or ace queen by 25%. That's really powerful. Secondly, I think that this is the kind of player, if I have him pegged right, that's going to not have a lot of calls from the small blind. He's going to be playing his playable hands as a three bet, which means that he's going to have a pretty strong linear range that the top end of hands are kind of diluted in, meaning that he's going to be three betting here with hands like queen jack suited and king 10 suited and seven six suited and ace 10 suited and stuff like that. Hands that are good for a three bet, but really can't stand the pressure of a four bet. And then I think the final part is like, this guy's a really good player. Like he he's, he's a pro or at least a professional level. He's pretty new at the table. I kind of want to establish 
a metagame between us that I'm not a man to be trifled with. Like, I'm not the guy at the table that he wants to fuck with. I will fight back. And don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think four betting him once all of a sudden is going to change his entire strategy against me by any stretch. But certainly there can be situations that come up in the future where, you know, he's got a pretty marginal spot. It could go either way. And he might just lean toward the fold instead of aggressing and, and kind of attack the lower hanging fruit at the table. If he thinks I'm a guy who's more apt to fight back, you know, he might just take a different spot. So I, I do think that's important, especially if I'm going to play at stones more often, which I plan on because um, I'm there every three weeks for work and I want to play more there. I love that card room. It's my favorite one in the Bay, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure our paths will cross again. So Putting all these things together, we have a good hand hand candidate. We're facing a linear range, not necessarily a polarized range, uh, with a lot of hands that'll have fold to a three bet. And then the metagame considerations. I think this is a great time for a four bet. The cool thing about four betting when you're in position, like I am, is you don't have to four bet very big because the reality is once I four bet, that's already polarizing your range. It's already kind of creating leverage where his stack is going to be at risk in this hand should he choose to continue. And the other thing about me doing it in position is that he's going to have very few calls. Like this guy's a good player. He's not going to want to play a four bet pot at a position. So that really makes him, gets him to a spot where he's either going to five bet all in or fold, which means that my shitty ass ace three suited doesn't even matter. Like I'm never going to have to play the hand post flop. It's awesome. So I don't have to four bet very big. He three bet to $65 and I decide to pull the trigger and I four bet to 190, which is less than three X. I think it's like 2.9 times his raise. And I, I think I could have gone even smaller here. I think 170 or 175 would have been fine. As played, I went to 190. He looks at me, sizes me up. He thinks about it a little bit, not even that long, maybe like 10, 15 seconds. And he mucks his hand. And we get it through. Hot damn. Love the light four bet. I mean, kind of one of the cool things about playing against somebody who plays a strategy like this, part of the power of three betting light and three betting linearly is that nobody light four bets. Nobody attacks back with four bets. Like at these stakes, man, if somebody four bets you, they always have like aces or kings or ace king. You know what I mean? Like very few players have light four bets in their bags. And so you're kind of like forced to respect it when players four bet you. And he doesn't know me. We've never played together. You know, I think I probably inferred more about him than he inferred about me. I could be wrong about that, but but I think it's probably true. Yeah, he just had to assume that I had a really good hand there. So it, it was a cool spot. I think, uh, you know, certainly like four betting light can be scary sometimes. But I think when all the stars align, you got to pull the trigger. And I did in this hand. And uh, yeah, allow myself to congratulate myself, you know, pat on the back, Obama putting a medal on himself, dot meme, uh, we get it through and and we profited, you know, whatever, like 85 bucks in this hand. That's awesome. I guess we profited like 70. Some of it was, was our own money, but we profited 70 bucks. That's really good. That's 14 big blinds. You know, if, if you want to win, like I said, double digit big blinds per hour at this game, you got to find spots like this where you can pick up 14 big blinds here, 10 big blinds here, 20 here. You know, the reality is if I play 14 more hours, that's another big blind per hour. I just added to my win rate. Like this is what win rates are made of. And if you want to have an elite one, you really want to pump that number up. You got to find these spots and be able to pull the trigger. And 
I, I was able to in this hand and, and we're proud of ourselves. So uh, that's hand one. In hand two, it's a little bit of the opposite. It's definitely a what not to do hand. Stay tuned. All right, hand two. We are in the same game a couple hours later in the same session. We are playing 1-3 at Stone's Gambling Hall, and Under the Gun opens to 20. Now, this is a pretty big open. In the unstraddled hands in this game, most of the opens were from 10 to 15 bucks. This guy, Under the Gun, opens to 20, and I'm next to act with Ace-Queen offsuit. And I decide to call here because... Again, this guy's open was larger than normal, and he's under the gun, so I think he's marked with a pretty strong range. Not a nutted range, possibly, that I want to be three-betting into. So he opens to 20 under the gun. I'm next tacked. I call with ace-queen offsuit. Three players behind me now call, and one of the blinds call. So we go six ways to a flop of 9-4-3 with two spades. I have the queen of spades. The blind checks, and now the original Razor, the guy who opened to 20, he checks. Gets to me, I check, and it ends up checking through. The turn comes a six. So it's nine, three, four, six. Now the big blind leads for 50, and the original Razor folds. It gets to me, and I fold. And then I don't even know what fucking happened in the hand. It doesn't matter. The point is this. I blew the hand. I'm sitting here telling you all this stuff pre-flop that you should three better fold, three better fold. And I didn't. I just flat called. And lo and fucking behold, what I said would happen did happen. Got a bunch of callers, missed the flop, and folded. We lost 20 bucks in the hand. And you might be thinking, oh, you lost 20 bucks. Who gives a shit? Well, let's think of an alternate reality. Let's think of if I had played this hand like the way I know how to play it. The original razor opens to 20. I three bet to 65. Everybody behind me now folds. It gets back to the original razor. He's got a pretty big, uh, pretty good hand that he wants to play. So he calls the 65. The flop comes nine, four, three. He checks, I bet, and I win. Well, I just profited 65 bucks. Instead, I lost by calling, I lost 20. That's an $85 swing. That's a pretty big swing. That's what, like 15 big lines? 17 big lines? I mean, Jesus H. Christ. Like, I'm sitting here telling you the the way that I like to play pre-flop and and the way that I think is most effective and and all this stuff. And I didn't do it here. Like it's not one of those situations that I didn't know what to do. And so I made a mistake and I went home and studied it. I knew the right play and I just didn't make it. Like what a feckless cuck weasel I am. Unbelievable. I don't know why I didn't make the play. It was just mentally weak. It was just mental weakness. Like I knew the right thing to do and I didn't do it. And it cost me 85 bucks. And, you know, again, you're, you're probably thinking, well, 85 bucks isn't that much money. You know, in this session, I won 400 bucks. You know, it would have been a whole lot cooler if I had won 485 bucks. It's like a 20% difference. And again, it's not just like $85 once. This is something that you have to consistently get right because the 85 here and the 85 there, these swings you know, they, they end up adding up. And I think it's so easy to go home and 
never think about this hand again, right? Like, oh yeah, I called 20 bucks with ace queen. I missed no big deal. But the reality is, you know, there's some big hands in poker and you got to get those right too. But the majority of poker is made up of these small hands, these little swings, plus 20 here, minus 40 here, plus 80 here. This is what makes a win rate. This is what makes a poker player. And again, if you want to be that guy who's winning 10 or 12 or 14 big blinds per hour in a game, you got to get these spots right over and over and over again. And I blew this one. And again, it was a spot that I knew better. I knew better and I was just mentally fucking weak. Unbelievable. Put me in a giant catapult and fire me into the sun. Like, what are we doing here? I have a goddamn podcast where I'm sitting here talking about proper pre-flop strategy and this and that. I knew the thing to do and I didn't do it. So very disappointed in myself. It sucks to suck. And that's and that's all we're going to say about it. So the reason I talk about this hand is just to kind of illustrate the downside of, of what it's like if you just play poker like everybody else plays. You know, if you just play your hands passively pre-flop, um, you run into these terrible spots. And like I said at the beginning, I know that just talking about some pre-flop decisions isn't as exciting as full hands. And, you know, and certainly we'll get back to that in future episodes. But, you know, I, I thought these were some cool pre-flop spots uh, from this last session. I want to share them with you and I hope you found value in them. So I appreciate you guys as always. I've been getting a lot of DMs on Twitter. Like, please keep them coming at Sammy Reed FI. Like, you guys are awesome. The engagement's awesome. And I have some cool ideas for things to do with the show moving forward. You know, we'll 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 kind of get to that bridge as we cross it. But just want to say again, thank you guys for listening. If you have a quick minute, drop a review, uh, subscribe to the podcast, all that good stuff. And until next week, play good and run pure. <laughs>